Just for the record, I do start my timer when I get out of the pew, so you're not, this is not in your time either, so don't worry about that. Good morning. My family gets me in trouble if I don't remember to say good morning, but we are glad that you are here. It is a good morning. It's great to be a Christian. It's great to be together. We continue to be thankful that many of you have felt comfortable and been able to get back with us. We're thankful for the opportunity to be here together. It's good to see you. Uh, the preacher says it continues to be the hottest ticket in town. I even sold a few on the front row here this morning. My son actually asked me, he said, how much does it cost to sit on the front row? I said, it's free. But it put a thought in my mind. So Cody and I had a minister's meeting over here for just a moment, and we decided that we'll sell you these for VIP seating. If you want to see us afterwards, uh, there's a couple of seats up here, and we'll, we'll sell you the VIP seating up front while we're at it. But we are, are certainly thankful that you are here and the opportunity to encourage one another. Uh, it's great to be together. It's great to see your faces and to continue to think about how we as Christians need to be pressing on, continuing through the struggles of this world and the troubles of this life, and continue to press on to heaven. Uh, we're especially thankful to our visitors that are with us today, and we're just thankful for the opportunity to worship God together. About seven months ago, I preached a lesson. It was a thought that I'd had last year as I planned lessons for 2020, which of course went by the wayside. One of the ideas I had was to maybe preach a lesson on object lessons. We all learn in different ways. We think about school and we, some of us learn by reading, some of us learn by, by seeing, some of us learn by doing, and a lot of times it really encourages us if we learn by maybe having some type of object lesson. We use it a lot with our youth. It's something that sticks in their mind from time to time. And when that thought came into my mind about preaching some lessons, the, the first one that we did about seven months ago was about five smooth stones. And if you were with us, we were able to look at five stones, and there were some that were given to our family as a gift straight from the Valley of Elah, there in the Middle East where David would have been as he faced Goliath. And we're thankful somebody thought about us and brought us back a few of those, but we, we looked at some lessons from David, and we talked about five smooth stones. This morning, we've got another object lesson that we want to talk about for just a few moments. Now, I don't know if you can make out what this is. It's made of wood. It's got a little hand on the top. I don't know if you can see that. When you first look at it, if you're not careful, you could probably think of some several things that it might could be good for. The, the fingers aren't pointed out, but I thought, you know, it could be a good back scratcher if that's what you needed it for. Some of us need a back scratcher from time to time. For my sweet, vertically challenged wife, uh, if she needed something off the top shelf, I reckon it might be good as long as it's not glass. She could, could knock it off the top shelf and get something down. I was thinking our brother Heath is not with us this morning. He's supposed to be in, in Alabama with his family. But if Heath was here, he could do an auction for us. And I guess it could be a way to, to vote. You know, you cast your vote or say that you wanted something in the auction. Uh, or maybe my favorite, I thought, of course, that came to my mind was, if you need to pick me up from time to time, this could be a good way to give yourself your own high five, I guess. And you keep it around with you all the time. But actually, this is something that's biblical. It's in the Bible. And if you have your Bible, you can look at Genesis chapter 6. In verse number 15, because as we begin there in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. This is a cubit. It was given to me by my family. It was a gift. I was with them when they purchased it, but they wanted me to have it. And it's been in my office in the box that it came in. We were able to pick it up when we went to the Ark Encounter several months ago and visited there. And it's a great reminder of God's Word. 
You see, this is what is guesstimated to be a cubit. When we see in the Bible about a cubit, we often think about the fact that it's from the tip of the finger to the elbow. And so we get a rough approximation here of what a cubit would have, de- would have been. But essentially what a cubit is, and the point that we want to make this morning, is that a cubit is a standard. It's a standard. And in life, we have standards in everything that we do. You see, when we think about our life, there are all kinds of, of different types of standards. Many of them are earthly. You see a ruler picture here on the screen. You think about millimeters versus inches. You see, if we're out cutting wood with the boys at the house, and I say, go cut this or these to four, it's going to kind of be important if I tell them if we're using four millimeters or four inches or four inches or four feet. And we think about the different in inches and millimeters. We think about the difference in in ounces and gallons. If I say that I need four, go pick up four of something or four milk jugs. It's going to matter if we're talking in gallons or half gallons. It matters what we measure with. I'm not famous for much when it comes to cooking, but, but one of my specialties is, is sausage balls. That's a, I think that's a southern staple, isn't it, around here? I make sausage balls sometimes on Sunday mornings. And one day, the, the recipe that we use, that I use, calls for a cup and a half of Bisquick. There was one day a while back where I thought I had grabbed the half cup measurement, but I had grabbed the quarter cup measurement. And so I do the math in my head and think, well, I need six of these. and Instead, I really needed three of those or, or vice versa. And I ended up with a big pile of Bisquick and not very much sausage and cheese. And we didn't have sausage balls that morning because I made the wrong measurement. We think about sports. It seems like a silly example, but it doesn't happen that when a, a player gets to the free throw line at the end of the game and they're down 12, that all of a sudden a free throw becomes worth 14 points. No matter the score, the standard is still the same. In a basketball game, the free throw is worth one point. There's many earthly standards that we live by. When it comes to the Bible, there are many biblical standards. We're going to get to a few of those this morning, of course, as we go through our lesson. But we even think about something like the Ten Commandments. Uh, Everybody knows the Ten Commandments, and many people live by them. We don't live by the old law. We're under the new law. But yes, in a sense, many of those same things are carried forward. And so people think about the Ten Commandments being a biblical standard that we live by. But it's not just some earthly things like measurements. It's not just biblical things necessarily. But there's standards that we choose to live by. Think about men. Think about husbands. We're supposed to teach our boys we have boys, how, how to be a man, how to live. And, and sometimes that standard that you hear men talk about is that we never touch a woman. We never hit a woman, put our hands on, our, on a woman in that way. Because we see that in our world today, there continues to be domestic violence problems. And so we try to teach our young men, you never touch a woman in that way. You never put your hands on, hurt her, hit her. That's a standard that we live by. Now, the interesting thing about standards is, for many of them, including the ones that we already talked about, there's nothing inherently sinful with a millimeter. And there's nothing inherently sinful with an inch. Those are just units of measurement. They're just standards that we sometimes go by. But it can be wrong when you use it. If you use millimeters and you're supposed to be using inches or or vice versa, then it's wrong if you use the wrong standard. And similarly, in our lives, there are some standards that can be wrong for us. And it's going to help us this morning as we think about those. There are certainly wrong standards. Number one, what I want. What I want is going to be a wrong standard. Do you remember in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 21? 
The writer would say, woe to those who are wise. Wise? Wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. We think in the New Testament about Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, despite what we feel deep inside of ourselves sometimes in a human way, it's not always about what I want. And sometimes what I want is not good. It's not a good standard to go by. We try to teach our our children that at a young age with chocolate, with dessert. It doesn't matter if you want 45 cookies. It's not good for you. The standard's going to be a little different than that. I know you want it. We want lots of things. But it's not always good for us. So when we think about the way, the standards that we use and the way we make choices, what I want can sometimes be a wrong standard. Another one would be what feels good. There's many things in life that feel good. We'll go back to food for just a moment. Sometimes that that chocolate, that dessert, it tastes good. It feels good. And it may be good for a little bit, but not too much of it. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. We just talked about that recently in our Bible class on Wednesday night. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You see, we talk about this even in love. You just got to trust your heart. Do what you love. Do what feels good. That can be okay from time to time. But we have to be careful because if we use what feels good for our standard day in and day out... Chances are good we're going to run up against trouble because oftentimes what feels good, it's not a very good standard. What about what is popular? We know certainly what is popular is not good. That's another thing that we teach our children from a very young age. If everyone is jumping off the cliff, would you do it too? But, you know, that is a biblical concept. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 2. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Oftentimes the crowd is going to do what's evil. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. But again, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. You remember there in the Sermon on the Mount. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's where that's going. We know that to be the case, but not only that. He says, and there are many who will go in by it. You see, the crowd is going to do what feels good. The crowd is going to do what they want, and we don't need to follow the crowd. So if... At many times in our lives, we simply do what feels good or what we want to do or even what the crowd is doing. We are going to find ourselves in trouble. The standards that we choose to live by, if that's what we're looking towards, then yeah, we're going to have problems. Because when we think about wrong standards, there is certainly also a right standard. And that right standard is the idea that God makes the standards. God gives us the standards to live by. I remind you again, let's think about good old Noah for just a second. Noah didn't use what he felt like. Noah didn't say, well, you know what? Old Billy down the road, he's building and he's using a cubit and a half. I think I'll just do that. Noah was told to use a cubit. When Noah was building, he didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, surely that's not what God meant. I don't think that's what God meant for me to do. So we're we're just going to do something a little different today. Even after they've already started. Or we think about, maybe he said, you know, we're to the top. We're almost done. Let's just cut it short. We'll cut these about a quarter cubit, you know, and then we'll just make it a little bit smaller. Is that what he did? Or did he follow God's standard? Did he take the cubit 
and make it 300 by 50 by 30. God makes the standards. He made the standard for Noah. And we ask the question sometimes, what would have happened if he had used a cubit and a half? We talked about this the other night when it came to Naaman. What if Naaman had dipped in another river? What if Naaman had dipped seven times and he came up and he thought, well, you know what? What's one more for good measure? I'll just go down one more time. Make it eight. It's good measure, right? But what did God say? When we think about our lives and what we are supposed to do, God makes the standard. And that is what we should live by. Because it encourages us. It makes us healthy. It makes us protected. It gives us blessings when we do what God has told us to do. And not only that, when it comes to God's standards, let's notice a few other things from His Word. Number one, we're not to turn to the left or the right. If you have your Bibles, you might look in Joshua chapter 1. Do you remember there that they are in, not necessarily disarray, but they're in a bit of a middle situation. A little bit of an issue on their hands in that Moses is now dead. Now Joshua is there. Joshua is perfectly capable, as we're going to know and, and find out. But you can imagine, when there's a change of power, when there's a question about who's in charge and you lose a great leader, it kind of affects the crowd. Moses is dead. Joshua comes to the forefront and God begins to speak to Joshua in verse 2 and says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. We go forward to verse number 6, and God says, Be strong and of good courage. We, we know that. We sing that from time to time. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, again, only be strong and of good courage, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper Wherever you go. Keep reading there. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And notice the promise. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, in context here, and it's important that we think about context, we don't want to be misleading here. In context, God is speaking to Joshua and the children of Israel. But I think we can think about a biblical principle here. When God issues a standard, a command, we should not turn from the right or to the left. We should keep it in our hearts, in our minds. We should meditate in it day and night. Because then we can have good success. Maybe not the same exact success they were having, but it's encouraging to think about that God promised that to them then. And I think He's saying the same thing to us today. What about some other passages you're familiar with? Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Yes, we're not to add to or take away. We're not to go from the right to the left. We're not to turn from it in any sort of way. And once again, we're talking about the old law in Deuteronomy, but we come all the way forward to the end. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. 
God has given us a standard. And we must not add to or take away. We must not turn from the left or to the right. That can be hard sometimes in our lives because we think we know better or maybe we do what we want to do or we do what we know is going to feel good. Or we see a crowd going one direction. It's awful hard to be that one going the other way. And so we just follow the crowd to do evil. But it's encouraging to think about with God's words, he's told us exactly what we need to do. He's given us a standard and we need to stick by it. You see, when we think about God's standards, God's standards are there for our protection. They're there to help us. Even as he made the promise of success and blessings, those words are there for our protection. It's not something that people often think about, but it just comes to my mind a lot. We think about things like alcoholism, consuming alcohol. You know, people do it because they, they think it feels good or it's what the crowd is doing. But I can not guarantee you because certainly we think about alcoholism and we think about drunk driving deaths. Many people are killed by drunk drivers, nothing they did. But, but I, I can promise you, if you don't consume alcohol, if you don't get drunk, then the chances are certainly higher that you're not going to die in some kind of accident like that. Again, understanding that some people still do from others who do. But think about this. If you don't, and other people don't, and we all follow God's will, we might do away with drunk driving deaths then. You see, we don't think about that. Well, a person doesn't think about that when they drink, but, but it's, they're there for our protection. I mean, God knows that we shouldn't do it for many reasons, but that would certainly be one added benefit. If people will avoid the consumption of alcohol and then the driving, then we're not going to have that trouble in our life. One of the jokes that we sometimes make from time to time about marriage is, I think God knew what he was doing when he said it was one man and one woman, not one man and four women, right? I mean, we laugh about that sometimes. But for those who, who think about that, most of the time a man who is trying to juggle more than one woman is not going to have much success, whether it's in dating or in marriage. But people try it. God, God knew what he was doing. Marriage is tough enough as it is between one man and one woman sometimes. But, but go further or add to that. What about adultery? What about sex outside of marriage? What about add into that pornography and the trouble that, that, that people have with that? Do you not think that God knew what he was doing when he banned sex outside of marriage? Because someone who gets caught up in those things, what does it bring? Does it bring the joy and happiness they thought that it would bring? Or does it bring sorrow and heartache and pain and suffering to them and their spouse and sometimes very often to their children and their kids? Because when God said that sex is to be within marriage, that adultery is something that one shouldn't partake in, then we see that it's there for our protection. It's there for our blessing. We think about God's standards, many times people will, will look at God and want to say, you know, why, why do you make so many rules? Why do you tell me all the things I can't do? But when we really think about it, many of them are there so that we can be happy, so that we can be blessed when it comes to our lives. The question that we want to think about as we conclude and begin to conclude some of our thoughts here, what happens when we don't follow the standards? And, and I mean, of course, in particular, God's standards. What happens when we don't follow the standard? Well, I can give you one answer and the word that keeps coming to my mind, and I wanted you to write it in your notes for the purposes of what we're talking about this morning. When we don't follow the standard, chaos ensues. Before we talk about ourselves or we talk about life for a few moments, think about the earthly examples we talked about earlier. Let's go all the way back to the, to the measurements 
that we talked about for a few minutes. You know, I, I went to Free Hardeman and, and I got a Bible degree. I'm not an engineer by any means, but I think that when it comes to an earthly examples and earthly standards, we can, we can learn something from what we see. I hope that you can make that out there, but that's not a bridge I want to travel on. We're just about eight feet over too far when it comes to that center support. I don't think that's something I want to be traveling on. You see, somebody possibly said, you know what, maybe we'll just use a few extra inches over here. And, and when you go to travel on that bridge, I think you might have some problems, at least if you see the bottom side first, because things look to be a little off-center. When we don't follow the standard, there are earthly problems. You've heard of the bridge to nowhere. What about the stairs to nowhere? I don't know who built this or who was in charge of the standards that day, but, but somebody took some steps and let them right up into the wall. Again, I, I'm no engineer, but I think if we don't follow the standards or the plans, when it comes to earthly examples, we're going to have a problem. If you can make it out, that's a door above the pictures on the wall. And again, I don't know who put the doors on the map or where they're supposed to go, but I hope somebody doesn't come out of it on that way, right? Maybe you can try to go in it, but I don't know. hope nobody opens it up and tries to step out. When we don't follow the standard, chaos is what happens. And even our earthly examples, even when it comes to engineering, this was my favorite one because of Chattanooga's new affinity for roundabouts, but I think you're going to have a bit of a trouble, and Chattanoogans, I think, have enough trouble with roundabouts already, but I think you're going to have a bit of a trouble as you go over the speed bump and try to head into the roundabout there. I don't think that's how they work. If we don't follow earthly examples, and I wouldn't want to be in the parking lot for long there, chaos is what ensues. It doesn't work. Because we have to follow the standard in all the things that we do. Let me ask you, when it comes to our spiritual examples, those things are kind of funny, but let me ask you again, what happens when we don't follow the standard? You see, when we look at the world around us, there is nothing but chaos around us. We see people doing things on the right and people doing things on the left and people doing things in the center. And oftentimes those are three different things. And chaos ensues. Because who ever thought that we would get to a place? And bear with me, okay? I don't want to be sensational. I don't want to be political. I'm not trying to be any way but say, what happens when we don't follow the standard? Because who would have ever thought we'd get to a place where it would be unknown if a person is a boy or a girl or if they want to be referred to as he, she, or them? Who would have thought we'd get to a place where we wouldn't know what marriage was? Who would have thought we'd get to a place when people make up their own mind about what they want to do in marriage and divorce where pornography is probably the largest consumer of income and money that we have in the world today and that it would be so widely accepted by so many who would have thought that this chaos would be going on around us? Except for, the answer to the question is, what happens when we don't follow the standard? Chaos is what happens. We think about everybody. We think about the United States of America. We think about foreign countries. We think about the church and the struggles that we deal with. How can we know what we're supposed to wear when it comes to when we go on vacation or we go to school or we go to work? How can we know what's modest? How can we know about what a person should do when it comes to drugs and alcohol, when it comes to things like abortion? Is it what you want and what you think is right or what I think is right? What is truth? What happens when we don't follow the standard? Folks, I, I don't want to be political. I don't want to be sensational in that way, but I want you to think for just a moment because we continue to shrug our shoulders and ask, what is it that we're supposed to do? 
What is it that we're supposed to follow? God's given us a standard. We don't measure by the cubit anymore, but we see a great example that when we follow what God tells us to do, we will have success. We will be blessed because we are obeying His commands. Uh, There's just been eight things on the screen so far. Uh, They're the ones that sometimes give us the most headache, the ones we shrug our shoulders about the most, but the answer to the question is chaos. When we don't follow the standard, God's standard, we end up in chaos. And here's the beautiful thing. You see, the most amazing, wonderful, beautiful thing about all of this is that God's standards never fail. They never fail to keep up with our so-called rapidly changing world. See, people are shrugging their shoulders and they say, what are we supposed to believe? What are we supposed to do? We know God's Word is true and we can always go back to it. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. That's the blessing that we have this morning. That's the blessing that we have in our lives. All of these things will go away. When you think in your mind that you couldn't believe that some of those things we just put on the screen would be true one day, they are. People are asking those questions. But we know that those things are true, that that God's Word is still true. No matter what people ask, because the Word of God stands forever. Isaiah says that in Isaiah chapter 40, but do you remember back in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, he was dealing with some of the same things. We mention this every so often, but we think we've got it the worst today, that 2020 and 2021 is, is the worst time ever. The world's never been more sinful. Isaiah 40 comes after Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, light for darkness and darkness for light. You see, I think it's safe to say Isaiah was dealing with some of the same questions. And what he said is, all those things will fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. We don't have to worry about all these things. Yes, it causes us trouble, and if you're like us, we are as parents worrying about what our children and our grandchildren will have to deal with one day, but we can take comfort knowing that the Word of God stands forever. So when it comes to spiritual matters, you see, we can take this even further. When it comes to spiritual matters in this life, we can know as well what we should do when it comes to standards. You see, when it comes to our worship, there's not a question for many of us whether or not we'll ever have instruments up here on this stage or not or how we worship because we are trying to follow the standard. There's not a question about gender when it comes to God's standard. Not only that there are two genders, but in the same way, the leadership positions that that men and women can hold, the roles that we have, because we're not trying to make it up here as we go. The elders aren't taking a vote to see what they want to do. We're going back to the Word of God. We think about grace, faith, and works. We live in a world where people talk about they want to extend grace to many people. That's great. I'm thankful to be a beneficiary of God's grace. And I bet you are too. But there are other things that have to go along with it as well. How do we navigate just loving people and showing grace versus works? We go back to God's standard. What about baptism? I I heard even yesterday that there was a brother who who had a debate Friday night. They just did an online debate between him and another guy. They talked about, is baptism essential for salvation? How can we know that? Because we have the standard that we need to follow. 
You see, it's encouraging this morning to think about the fact that we have a standard. The cool thing about a cubit, and why I was thankful to receive this, is that I can put it on my desk, and every time I'm here, I can think about the fact that God has a standard. He gave it to Noah when it came to building the ark, and He's given it to us today. I can use it. You can use it. Tom from Timbuktu can use it. And we can all get to the same place. We can all get to heaven on the fact that we follow God's standard. Friends, how wonderful and comforting it is to know that we can read the Word of God and we can find the answers to life's question. Not only about some of the difficult tasks that we face from time to time, but most importantly about salvation. See, God's given us a standard of salvation as well, and we're thankful to know that. When you think about, what must I do to be saved? When a person says, I'm tired of the questions. I don't want to worry about politics and and, and homosexuality and gender identity and all these things. I just want to go to heaven. Good news. God's given us a standard. We can open up our Bible. We can look at the list on the screen here or use the many things that we have in our library to, to share with others and we can know how a person can be saved. It involves, of course, hearing the Word, even as we've talked about, believing the Word of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, that means to turn completely from them, and to confess Jesus as Lord. We're thankful for that opportunity to do that in front of a crowd. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Once you do those things, you're ready to be baptized. Maybe you already believe. You certainly heard the Word this morning. Maybe all you need to do is repent and confess and be baptized. When you do that, the Lord will add you to His church, and we're thankful for the opportunity to become a Christian. If you want to know more, we would gladly study with you, even this morning. But you know, I'm really thankful as well for God's second law of pardon. The standard is you need to become a Christian, and this is how you do it. But there's also a second law of pardon, and that if you've sinned, or you've turned away, and you stand in need of forgiveness, you can repent of your sins and pray. God is willing to forgive you. That you can again walk in the light as He is in the light. I can't tell you the comfort that you can get from the Word of God. I can't begin to explain to you how great it is to know that I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to become a Christian. Maybe you want to come back to Him. Maybe you want to study biblical matters. You see, I I threw up a lot of things on the screen we don't have time to talk about this morning. But if you want to talk about them, we'll talk about them. We'll sit down, we'll study the Bible, and we'll see what God has to say. Because that's what mattered. When it came to Noah building an ark, and when it comes to us living our lives, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning and to encourage you to come back to Him or to come to Him for the first time, even now as we stand together and as we sing.